You're listening to the State of Love and Trust, a Pearl Jam podcast. Follow the show on social media and remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. Now, here's Jason and Paul. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of The State of Love and Trust. It's a Pearl Jam podcast. I'm one of your two hosts, Jason Carapesi, and alongside me, as always, is Paul Gillieri. Paul, it's uh, it's nearly, nearly Thanksgiving here in America, and you and I both have squirreled away already for the solstice season, have we not? Uh, we, we we sure have, my good man. Uh, we, we are avid collectors, or I should say hoarders. Hoarders it is, is, hoarders is a better term. Of the uh, Anderson Valley brew, also known as winter solstice. Lovely winter ale. Highly recommend it. At some point in time, I am hopeful that they will be uh, sponsoring at least an episode or two in the future. There's communications in the back channels. Mm. Things are happening. Things are moving along. It's tricky, especially in the in the alcohol business. So, just saying, we love Anderson Valley. We love our solstice season. Sol- solstice, see, that's hard to say. Solstice, it is. little season. alliteration there. And we are ready to go because Paul and I agree. As much as we love um, Christmas, we don't start it until Black Friday, right? <laughs> Got to give Thanksgiving its due. We do. And on that note, we have much to be grateful for. And uh, I think uh, it would be wonderful to have a guest on board today to to talk about gratitude. That's right. We um we are basically a day, actually today, no, tomorrow. Tomorrow, um, as you're hearing this, as the show is released, is the vinyl 29th anniversary of Vitalogy. And we have a gentleman, a, a, a fellow uh, podcaster who um, reached out and said, this album is something else. We got to talk about it. When can we talk about it? I said, well, let's talk about it around the anniversary. He goes, all right, let's do this thing. So... We're going to talk a little Vitalogy, but it's really not going to be us talking about it. It's going to be the founder, the host of Discography, David Gebro. How's it going, man? It's going great. I'm so psyched to do this. When you told me that there was, uh, first of all, I'm so psyched to hear that you guys are big fans of Thanksgiving. What oh, yeah. aspect What aspect of it is super appealing to you? Uh, sitting on my behind with tons of really good food. In me while I watch football with no responsibilities. <laughs> hey, th- those are wonderful perks. Uh, for me, I would say, in addition to those glorious things, it would be the opportunity to to reflect. I enjoy the opportunity to kind of sit back and just just kind of think about uh, the year that has been and uh, how I'd like to close out what remains, and uh, the opportunity just to be to be grateful. It's funny. I was reading my kids a book about uh, autumn solstices and and all the various different ways that cultures throughout history have celebrated. Uh, the harvest season throughout the centuries and, uh, and and how it's this this universal process that has been enjoyed and celebrated in some variation with with a lot in common actually quite frankly and so uh just kind of goes to show you that we're living in an era where people are so hyper focused on differences and mm-hmm. using that to uh, justify trials and tribulations and you know um when you really look at history that there's there's so much commonality that uh we, we we should spend more time thinking about that and and being grateful for the, the the love that we have in this world. What I just picked up is that you have been through a seriously fucking heavy year. 
Um, <laughs> am I? Did I pick a, the correct vibe up there? Or no? uh, you know, it, it, I, I moved right, so uh, uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it heavy. It's it's, it's been a productive and uh, uh, good year, you, I would say. You, you want to hear? You guys want to hear a story that I know you'll be able to connect with, but it'll leave you definitely jaws agape. There's no question. But as podcasters, you'll connect with it wholeheartedly. So I've been putting off this operation I've needed for for a while. And uh, it's one I don't really, it's, uh, you know, gross details because it involves the posterior. But I really had to have it. Uh, but I wanted to wait until I moved in 2023 to the East Coast. So we get to New Jersey and in, in April... I uh, I do this thing. They promise me it's going to be an agonizing recovery, but like an like a fucking dickhead, I schedule one of the interviews of my dreams right in the middle of when the agonizing part's going to be, where I'm loaded on morphine and 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 Norco's and, yeah. and I'm out of my mind. What happened was two days after that interview. I came very close to bleeding to death. Uh, I was in my I was in my bathtub reading about music, and I bled out. And uh, I got to the hospital really just in time. I mean, I felt like I was being pulled away. Oh God! But the moral of the story is not that. That's just the the context. Uh, as I'm being pulled away, by the way, I figure the more doctors there are in an emergency room probably the closer you are to dying i'm having like lucid thoughts as i'm mm-hmm. as i'm as i'm dying and i count 10 and that doesn't sound like a you know like a, a number that's positive so um that morning i just happened to have posted a show for patreon and it was an endlessly interesting concept to me which is that the monkeys imitated the beatles but I don't know if you know this, but the fucking monkeys had their own monkeys, which were called the chimps. So and <laughs> they put out that. two records and they actually wound up doing the same thing, which is that like, we'll imitate that formula, but then fuck that. We want to revolt and do our own thing. So that there was another group that not only uh, imitated another band, but then spun off and re- rebelled against the formula and became unique. And I'm explaining this not because I'm trying to uh, push the show, but I'm endlessly fascinated by the concept because I love music. Like you guys, I'm yeah. like, uh, the, the older I get, the more of a hold it has on me. So there's a nurse with her finger up my ass <laughs> to, to stop the bleeding. Okay. And I, and I'm you see tell- earmuffs. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, can you believe the 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 monkeys had their own monkeys called the chimps? <laughs> you told the doctors this? The nurses? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it really was not to push the show. It's just because if there wasn't a mic here to record it, I'd be like a homeless person on the street doing these shows to, no, to <laughs> well, nobody. Fortunately, fortunately you do. So so that's yeah. a, that's a great segue, David. So how how did you come to that realization then that you should have these conversations in front of a microphone and start this podcast. So the concept for the podcast is I have, you know, every week a sort of celebrity guest, typically in the music zone, but usually a well-known person in their, in their genre field that talks about either their own music, but typically somebody else's music. And we go through 
the entire discography, and I mean everything. Mm -hmm. So it's a completest sweat dream, but it's also kind of going after a higher truth. Like, you know, because if you take in an entire fucking career in one sitting, you really get a sense, more so than the artist uh, is vibing about their own work, about what it all means. You really get that sense. And the show, you know, pierces and like, you know, cracks the shell of, of that particular nut, whatever the nut is that week. Let's crack the nut of uh, Pearl Jam fandom, shall we? Please. Uh, t- talk to us a little bit about, about this, this origin story. When did you, when did you find the band? Um, you know, what, what was that discovery process like for you? You know, we'll talk favorite record and, and some other details a little bit later, but kind of what, what brought you into that Pearl Jam sphere? Well, I, you know, I knew them from the beginning. I mean, I'm an old person. I mean, I'm 51, but I certainly was, I was in college. I was at the perfect time in my life when that music came out. And to be honest with you, and this is why I want to talk about Vitalogy, you know, the first record and parts of the second record had interesting moments to me, but I didn't really sort of, my eyes didn't flutter wide open until Vitalogy. Because, uh, because of so many reasons, but there was a cleanliness to 10 that, you know, while it definitely appealed to me and there's stuff on there that I love, um, there was music from that time that was much more impactful to me. Like, but I know, uh, My Bloody Valentine, for instance, Pavement. I mean, these were bands that are, these were all timers to me, um, that I could put on any time of, you know, day or night and are still meaningful to me and hit me in the, uh, in the scrotum of my heart. You ever get into like shoegaze back then? Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, in all kinds of ways, you know, the, but my experiences with Loveless were the exact kinds that you would dream of, which is, you know, it soundtracked my, my first threesome. <laughs> <laughs> You're supposed to, I timed that. To, for, that's true, but I timed it for you to do a spit take. There. He's not spit taking that scotch, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's struggling to keep the lips shut. <laughs> but uh, that was rich. That was rich. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I mean, Pavement, you know, I had a, a Bob Mastanovich rating the, the entirety of the Pavement output on my show. And to me, that was a, a dream come true, as would be, you know, having. Yeah, anyone from from Pearl Jam being on the show. So it was um, it was. So you you enjoyed parts of those first two records, but for you, it didn't fully click. Now, like I said before, the record it turns twenty nine in vinyl tomorrow. It's pivotal in many in many ways as it, it marked changes within the band, it, its sound, and its musical and professional direction uh, within the music industry. So Pearl Jam basically wrote verses while they were on the long tour for 10 and only took a few months off before recording it and then going out on the road. During that tour, they immediately started writing songs for Vitalogy and recording them sporadically throughout November 1993 to October of 94, with Dave Eberzies getting fired late in the summer of 94. So, Also, I would like to posit, because of those circumstances, Mm -hmm. that any REM fans out there... This is a proto version. This is a prototype for new adventures in hi-fi because mm. 
It's all done on the road. It's all a fulcrum point of change. It's all positioned right in there. And, and the loss of a drummer, which is a major key for both bands, especially REM, because as soon as Bill Berry left, it was all over except for the fat lady singing, basically. And it's interesting you bring that up because they share a fan club single a couple of years later. There are some weird parallels about those bands. I'm glad you brought that yeah. up. Um, actually, there's a very interesting article that just came out about Eddie and R.E.M. Uh, like today that I think we'll talk about another time. But oh, anyways, wow. uh, the band was clearly going through some internal strife, yet they took almost no time to communicate their issues. So what do you make of the timing of that record coming out? Well, first of all, let's, let's look at the circumstances. So here's a band that needed a guy. It was like band looks for guy. And then all of a sudden guy is the, the only person that people are really looking at and guy is calling all the shots. And so that can't help but fuck a band up. That band's going to be messed up. That band's going to be dealing with trauma, except this one is exacerbated so much more because, and I mean this with all due respect, I really do, because he's a great front man, but he responded to this whole thing a little bit like a pussy. And I love it for it because it creates a tension because the rest of the band does not, I, you can tell they're kicking and screaming against going down the road of the whole thing being about, you know, we're, we're not, you know, uh, the martyrdom aspect, mm. you know, so, I don't so think they, yeah. That's what you mean then when, when you say that's how he responded. I feel like everything he said he, became, he, said he was really soft yeah. and wasn't ready for that kind of thing. Yeah. He, yeah, he exactly. And I pulled quotes just so I didn't seem like I was, you know, being dismissive because I, I love him. There's no, I have, there's nothing pejorative about it. But um, I remember during that time, it being a very interesting, dramatic tale, regardless of the music, because this is a guy who was like putting the brakes on, didn't want to pump the, you know, and it fit in with the slacker aesthetic and, yeah, you know, counterculture. Yeah. Uh, not wanting to work with Ticketmaster. So playing these dumpy, uh, these crappy fucking dives, um, and just taking a stand and trying to figure out who they were um, by process of negation, by figuring out who they weren't, right? It's a cool point for the band. Even The thing about this record is even if you don't like the music, uh, all of the things that I find interesting, and we'll get into it, obviously, Bugs and Ayadavanita and all these things that could be seen as throwaways, to me are fulcrum points of the band because they're taking they're taking control from what's expected of them. So mm. no matter what it is, no matter what it is, if it's not what's expected, it's interesting. So let me so let me, me come me. back to to the original question, if I may, but but to add something to that, which is you know it's said that they had the record basically done early in 94, but the, but the label is like, this is too soon. You got to push it out. You got to push it out. So it comes out in November. That's still very quick though. Um, you know, basically three records in four years in the moment. Was that a smart move? You think to have records that quick without communication with all this drama happening? I, I think so. Another key component, 80% of the songs were written 20 minutes before they were recorded. I had a, I had a note about that. I was going to ask I mean, you about that, yeah. 
Talk about a key statement. That was uh, Stone Gossard, I believe, was mm-hmm. yep. everything kind of emanates from that. And that's a wonderful, liberating thing for a band to allow themselves to create from. And that, do you think is, it was? Do you think it was intentional? Do you think it was? Oh, this is a great thing that we should try. Or was it? They did not know how to talk to each other, but for let's just get in the room and just pop something out. And okay, that's that's going to be that because we have to put something out. All right. So what my recollection of that time is that those backing guys, because that at that point that's what kind of they were se- seemed like and cowering and in, in Eddie's, you know, uh, you know grotesquely over-dramatized shadow was, uh, you know, they were, they were afraid. That's what, that's how I remember it is that they were afraid of this guy. So his, his impulses were indulged. And sometimes that was a good thing. Sometimes that was a bad thing. And what I always loved about this record is that I take the good with the bad. And there are to me, bad songs on the record that to me are part and parcel of the experience and are part of the reason why I like it. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that um, mostly because when you, when you look at the album for the most part, I think every one of the tracks kind of keeps consistent and faithful to whatever the select genre of that song is, whether it's bugs or whipping or spin the black circle, you know, tremor Christ, all these songs kind of, have this fidelity to a specific sound, but there is a diversity of that sound. And it also comes on the heels of what is, you know, there's, there's some satirical songs on this album. I think there's, uh, and and those songs are not very important. You know, I think that they're important in the sense that they're not necessarily making a statement that you think they're making. I think that there, this, this record also comes out at a time where the band is, is basically in disarray. I mean, they're coming apart at the seams. And when you look at all of that together, the, the fidelity, the faithfulness to specific genres within songs, the band coming apart, uh, it's very reminiscent of the White Album, which came out at the end of 1968. And for me, this has always been this generation's White Album in a lot of Dude, ways. It's not, it's get, not as long. I, and their but, drummer left during the making of that record too. Exactly. So it's not 30 songs, right? Like the White Album. But I mean... I think for the most part, just in terms of this eclectic set and the, the, the types of, of compositions that are featured there, what the band was going through at the time, the statements they were trying to make, um, you know, they weren't at a retreat, you know, like, like the Beatles were at the time. But I think in, in some ways for Pearl Jam, being on the road was always that retreat for them. You know what I mean? That's where they've always been the most comfortable. And so it's one of those records where they, they essentially recorded it on the road for all intents and purposes. Um, unlike the way they record now, which is very methodical and purposeful with intention and, you know, in the studio, and then they go out and it becomes their vehicle for touring. Whereas this was kind of like, well, we're on the road, we're touring for verses, but we're also kind of like recording. You know what I mean? Um, also, I the, it, the creative process was turned on its head because these were all developed out of jam sessions. These were exactly. not, these were not crafted songs. And, Correct. and also this is the first album in the short history of the band for which uh, a veteran made the final decisions. He was, this was not something right. that he was allowed b- prior to this, but there was no time to like communicate this strife. You know and what that's I mean? what I was saying. Yeah. They just kept and going. And so they just kept going. You know what I mean? But, but so- also what, well, one other thing about com- the communication is that besides there being no time, um, 
um, Dave stated that the the that the communication problems all kicked into being once Stone Gossard stopped acting as the mediator for the band. Right. And that happened. I don't know at what point that happened during these sessions, but apparently that had a big impact on. Well, if you, listen, if yeah. you, if you were to kind of piece together everything that's, you know, been out there, the interviews over the years, yada, yada, yada. The, the sense that I get is that Ed did, as we all know, did not understand or feel comfort from a spotlight Yet He was in the spotlight and he was, slowly learning how to deal with being that in his way of self-preservation was to take control and, but make that control of the band, the opposite of what you would think a rock band should be doing. And the guys went along with it for reasons that they could, they could uh, explain to you. I'm curious, what do you think they were thinking when Ed did that for himself slash the band? Like I said, I, I just think that they were, that they were scared. And I think scared of what? I mean, you know, Mother Love Bone was never going to be a huge ordeal. It was never, you know, they they never went into it thinking this is going to be, you know, world conquering. And within a tiny amount of time, these guys are riding this, what must have been a terrifying wave, you know, enervating. But from all accounts, when you're that famous, it's not really fun. It's just you're hanging on for dear life. And some people have the ego to deal with that, Bob Dylan, you know, John Lennon, not only did they eager to deal with, but, but they love, you know, they have the ego that, that thrives on it. But I don't think that this is, you know, necessarily that kind of case. I think, you know, just one look at Eddie's glower from those days, you could tell this is not a good fit for him. No, I agree. And it, it's funny when you look back at John Lennon, when he talked about the White Album, he said that that recording session that they had in India was essentially like their chance to get away from everything. You know what I mean? They're in this uh, transcendental meditation place in India, and they're reengaging themselves with songwriting. And, and like that was their escape. Whereas for Pearl Jam, what, what the road had been their escape, but now here's they're at each other's throats in a lot of ways. And so it, it's interesting to me to kind of take so many parallels from an album like the White Album, but bend it backwards and say, well, you know, what happens if the Beatles try to record a record when they are their most frayed? You know, I, mean, I guess you could argue that that's what um, Abbey Road was. But I think in a lot of respects, when when you look at this particular album here, what do you make of the songs that a lot of casual fans refer to as just filler, right? Because to me, like you, I think part and parcel, like, you really have to take the album as an entirety, as as a true work of composition. It wasn't art. a concept and, album per se, but it kind of was. No, in yeah. A sense. I mean, it it's wasn't a, like an album yeah. from the Who. You know what I mean? It's not. Right. Uh, it's not totally. Kind of I think it's totally a concept album. Okay. I, uh, I think in, intentionally it, it is uh, because. Uh, there's a great many of the songs that directly address, uh, you know, uh, the pressures that they were facing with fame and loss of privacy. So the songs that are like that, Not For You, uh, Pride Too, which is states it Obviously, blatantly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Corduroy is obvious. Bugs. And, and honestly, before researching for this, I never thought of bugs as anything besides insects. I wasn't thinking of them as uh, wiretapping devices. 
uh, from uh, apparently that's how he intended it. Um, so bugs, uh, Satan's bed, immortality, all the songs deal with that. And then the ones that, that don't seem to deal with it are just a re a, a I think a self-taught, um, hard to learn, but self-taught, uh, response to rejecting, uh, fame and an audience's love. So all the weird tracks are just like trying to, Teach yourself basically how not to pick up the phone and call your ex. Would you characterize the final product as self-sabotage? Because yeah. we had, yes. yeah, you would. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, but 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 they're not dumb. Also, so they they have their cake and eat it too. They have their feet uh, in both pools because um, you know with they have enough on here i mean you know to me their their greatest moment is on here it's not an outre piece of music concrete very accessible there's a bunch of accessible stuff on this there is there i is. mean and yeah I would, and, go ahead jason oh i was just gonna say how can you totally self-sabotage when you have a song like better man on there which yeah, that's my which, point yeah, yeah which eddie had literally did not want on the previous record because it was so catchy and and, and radio Poppy. friendly yeah. and and we, so we spoke to Dave Eberzies a few weeks ago, and he literally said to us that before he left, the vision of, of the album, what he heard, what he thought it was going to be, was not what we got. With all that said, Jack Irons comes in to replace Dave just as they're pushing, putting the finishing touches on the record in the fall of 94. And Stone said, Jack's a breath of fresh air. He was just there to play drums and help out. That's very telling to me, especially after having spoken to Dave, who said, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was, I listened to, when I left the band, I listened to what Dave Cruzen did before me, and I listened to Jack, what Jack was doing after me, and I, got, and I thought to myself, maybe they just don't want me. Maybe that's the kind of drummer that they want. In, in my sense, intimating that they wanted somebody who just play ball. That you know, it feels very loaded to me. Like, what what do you think the guys, and specifically Ed, actually wanted out of a drummer at that point? I don't know. I'm not going to stand in for you know. It's so tempting to try to put words in his mouth, but I I don't know what the hell he wanted at that point, except just to make music without so many fucking people watching. Mm. Well, I ask because actions speak louder than words sometimes, and obviously we don't know what they're thinking. We can't know what Ed's thinking, but based on the actions that have been taken and the music that was created afterwards. You know what I mean? Yeah. What, what do you make of, what do you make of, of that? And obviously the band made fun of their drummer history in their, in their Pearl Jam 20 documentary yeah. skit. And a lot of fans are pissed off about that because they actually want to know why their favorite drummers left. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I mean, I can only just from, you know, external circumstances, I can only, attempt to deduce that they want to be a band. They all want to feed each off each other and be happy in the process of making music and not be dictatorial in, you know, in enforcing ideas, but who the hell knows? Yeah. Maybe they have well, great publicists. I have no clue. Well, there was a lot to publicize because this album comes out and it's, it's successful. I mean, there's definitely a heavier ed influence when you listen to the record at that, that much is, is obvious, but through all this inner this inner turmoil, you get the, the, this compressed timeline 
um, band member shakeups happening, right? You get Mike's rehab situation. And we end up with this very eclectic, experimental, diverse set of songs that to that point, of course, had been unimaginable, I would say. So given all that context. When did, when did he go into rehab? When did Mike go in? Do you know at what point of the recording process was it? Uh, it, it must, I read that it was during production, but I just don't know. I why. think it was probably in the summer of 94 because I don't think they were touring in summer of 94. And because most of the record was done prior to that and they had finished their spring tour, that would have been the time to do it when the rest of the guys were, you know, overdubbing shit and whatever. Yeah. That's my guess. Yeah. What, what a, what a fucked up thing to, you know, get, you know, get that shit out of your system and you got that to look forward to, to, to do when you get out that like maelstrom of conflicting emotions and rage and rejection. It must've been difficult, honestly, for Mike to get out of rehab. And that's what he had to look forward to. Well, I mean, the, the plans for the 94 tour were canceled because of the, the Ticketmaster boycott. Yeah. Yeah. So we have the context of how these guys would have been mentally and, and, and emotionally to create the music that we ended up do ended up getting obviously very much spearheaded by Ed at this point. Let's go kind of sort of quasi lightning around here and go through the tracks and kind of get your take on, on each song. So let's go, let's start with last exit. Last exit is just a killer opener. These guys, they know uh, they have a grasp on the dynamics of rock history because the way this kicks in uh, it's, probably my favorite opener of any of their records i love it uh and there's a punk energy to it not a grunge thing or uh and that was conscious and the way that everything is produced there's a real power to everything um i remember that from the first time i heard it and it's it's never it's never gone away it's always kicked me you know right in the throat mark of a good song yeah. uh spin the black circle Spin the Black Circle is the closest they've ever come to an honest-to-goodness Ramon song. And to top it all off, it's a record about a record. So you just, the self-reflexivity and the fact that they actually pull it off, it's, you know, the the exploding asshole that the Italian yeah, the chef's says. kiss. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, also, key lyric, I'm so big in my whole world, uh, I'd rather you, rather you than her. So basically, you know, uh, choosing, you know, as all great men must at one point or another, choosing men or choosing... Um, choosing men or women. Yeah, choosing men. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I love that. Uh, you got to keep that. about Freddie Mercury, though. You got to keep that in. Um, but uh, yeah, choosing music over women. And what, imagine if he hadn't have told Stone to uh, speed the rip up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how about uh, Not For You? Uh, not for you. I always found this to be kind of be the knuckle-headed, uh, most knuckle-headed tune, uh, and one of the most overrated tunes that they've ever made. Too, too ham-fisted not, for you? Totally. That's exactly the word. Uh, also, it's very draggy, very undynamic. There's almost no change. Mm. That rhythm is so lazy and just unenthused. Uh, and also, it seems like it's on purpose. Mm-hmm. So it feels like we're tilting to the le- to the left here. I never liked this uninviting, uh, lo- low quality. It, to me, it's the worst look on Eddie. Also, as well, the persecuted 
get away from me, you know, that whole thing. And uh, this could be my least favorite Pearl Jam song. Wow. Hmm, bold. Interesting. Bold, okay. Yeah. Well, f- f- from there, we go to a song that Stone said seemed to write itself, riff and a half, basically, on a muggy New Orleans afternoon, Tremor Christ. Another sluggish, poorly written afterthought like piece of shit that adds to the whole. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Look, I'm David. not trying. Listen, I'm not trying to add a hot take. That's not. I don't think that's a good look. No, seriously, it, this this song never hit me. The, honestly, the entire rest of the record, except for one other song, I love. Love. Uh, Tremor Christ, not for you and Tremor Christ, it felt like he was attempting to shake people. That's how it hits my ears. Like, to somebody else, they might think that Bugs, Ayadavanita, stuff like that, would be them trying to shake their fan base. To me, it's tracks three and four. It's like if you can get through those two, then you'll it's smooth sailing for the rest of the record. Well, it's funny you say smooth sailing because that's literally one of the lyrics in Shimmer uh, Christ, Wind yeah. the Sailor. That that line though from the chorus, um, was it even uh, even small oceans get big, big waves? I mean, that's fucking brilliant. Musically, I just don't, you know. There's okay, okay. Musically, it can be, it can be a challenge. I understand. Okay. I feel it's got like that, it, that it marching Beatles me. tune, doesn't it? <laughs> what? Now, so you guys both love this song. Do you both love Tremor Christ? I really enjoy Tremor Christ. I yeah. enjoy it as well. Yeah. 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 I mean, are there are there Pearl Jam? Is there Pearl Jam material you guys don't connect with? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I've talked at length about certain songs and in, in later <laughs> albums that I struggle. That's a whole other. That's a that's a different show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, 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 but but it kind of is and isn't because, like for example, I love Bob Dylan, and love Bob Dylan, and as a Bob Dylan fan, you got to fucking, you know, I, how how raw do you want to get here? But you got to choke in some serious fucking cock to be a Dylan fan because he goes through some fucked up phases. You got to accept him as a Christian. You got to accept the fucking Christmas album. You have to. You have to. And then the biggest one was Self-Portrait. And I don't know if you know Self-Portrait, but Self-Portrait's a double record he released in 1970. And the entire point was to shake his fan base. He had people going through his garbage, making assumptions about him, disturbing, you know, his. he's got a little baby at home and a new wife, and, you know, he's got people rummaging around. So we did a bunch of tunes that were purposely shitty and extended it to a double, and tried to portray himself as a country bumpkin. So he had pictures of himself chasing chickens, looking up at the sky inside. So I feel like, um, uh, you know, if you accept, if you go on the ride with these guys on, on Vitalogy, you accept everything. Mm-hmm. So, so what I'm trying to tell you in circling back around, you guys think I'm doing a hot take. What I'm trying to tell you is I don't like Not For You and Tremor Christ. And I love that they throw two undynamic songs seemingly purposely in the track order right there to try to seemingly, at least the way I see it, lose me. And <laughs> and to me, that's interesting. So I'm engaged. I'm, cu- I'm curious if, the, if any of the yeah. listeners feel that way, because obviously being a Pearl Jam podcast, you're going to have listeners who generally love most things the band does, uh, especially early on. So... For you to say those two things, and again, not necessarily, it's your opinion, it's not a hot take, um, it'll challenge the listener 
to reevaluate the songs, perhaps. It, or maybe they'll just get mad and throw their phone against the wall. I don't know. What's the next anyone, song? Any, anyone who gets mad, just keep in mind, I had the CD the day it came out. I bought it. And I was listening to it a lot. Uh, and uh, you know, and I was living through it as everyone else was at that time. So these are my thoughts in real time. This yeah. isn't like some you know. You're gonna save some, space, David. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I'm not a douche doing it in retrospect. I got you. No, like my, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. I don't think Jason n- nor myself. I don't, either one of us are, are uh, receiving these as hot takes. Um, yeah, I think there's there's authenticity to to what you're saying because that that that's your that's your experience that that's your position on it. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't think you're you're suggesting that anyone else has to see it that way either. On that note, nothing, man. What do you guys think? I'm asking you. I, it's one of one. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I always love the song, and it also always really brings me back to that time. It's just one of those resonant songs that keys in and engages. Uh, like the virtual reality of the mind to get back to 1994. And it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, apparently has some connection with Better Man as far as how uh, Eddie saw them, but I'm not going to assume anything. And uh, I love this song. I I always loved hearing it on the radio. It had a gentleness of spirit to it. Mm, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah. yeah, definitely one of my favorites in the catalog. Let's let's uh, whip it up a bit, huh? Bad pun. <laughs> Whipping. This one, uh, this one rocks, but it also, it also at the same time sounds a little bit distracted, um, and uh, you know, the bar is lifted so incredibly high with the first two songs, "Last Exit" and "Spin the Black Circle." When you're gonna rock out, you gotta rock out as hard as those two. This one doesn't rock out as hard as those two, um, and uh, but you know at the same time it's a valiant cause song about abortion. Uh, as a song though, uh, a little bit sloppier and less exquisitely pulled off than the others scattered throughout the record, in my opinion. Okay, all right. Uh, let's go to okay one of the first uh, quote unquote interludes with Pride Two. To me, not an interlude. It's a short song crucial component to the record because you know the spelling out privacy uh it's funny uh you know uh it is technically an interlude my note here on it uh for pride 2 it says crucial track on this cd it's like the beating heart of the record but an interlude track at the same time i could see that because the the whole pri P R I V A C Y me is a lot. Was it? <laughs> yeah, it just, it just, it's a, it's a cry. It. It's a cry for it to be left alone kind of thing. But, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go to more. Uh, maybe, maybe the second biggest song on the record, Corduroy. Corduroy is the best song they ever, they ever made ever. And uh, specifically the bridge is the best mm. moment of their entire career. It mm. never, it music doesn't get any more intense than that. You can only match that. And everything about the circumstances behind him writing it, which I, I don't want to bore your listeners. I'm sure everybody knows, you know, about the vest coat the, that he's writing about. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, it it's a majestically hard-rocking song. And the bridge especially rocks so fucking hard it almost hurts. And I can't help but blast it all the way to the top. Uh, uh, cranked all the way when it hits that section. We had um, 
Yeah, we, we do a, a lyric and live cut of the week uh, segment on the show quite a lot where we kind of pick a segment of lyrics out um, and kind of really deep dive into those. So when we came upon the song Corduroy, we happened to be interviewing a tribute band and we asked the singer of the tribute band, you know, what's your favorite song? He, he goes, Corduroy. And I go, what's your favorite part of Corduroy? And he said, the bridge. So that's what we did for that episode. So nice. it, 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 you're you're not wrong. Like people, that bridge is amazing. It's literally just two chords. It's two chords. But yeah. it's so, it just, it, you know, it, it ratchets you up and keeps you there at this emotional level. And it just, it's it's great. So I, yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's literally the peak of their entire career, I think. I think it's just, uh, I really do. Um, I think it's amazing. That, that sounds bold, but it, when you think about it, actually, it's not that bold of a, of a shout because it is a great song. So As soon as I heard it, I thought, they'll never get better than this. This is, <laughs> this is incredible. So let's go into Bugs now because Bugs, you had some Bugs thoughts. is awesome. Yeah, Bugs is awesome. Bugs, uh, Vetter is playing an accordion that he had found at a thrift shop. Uh, and also, sequencing-wise... To go from corduroy to this, that to me is truly the beating heart of the record. I love bugs. So uh, that when you're, you know, there's a lot of ways that you could be more daring than than this song. But for the big time, if uh, with a band that was as big as this, to have a song like this was really daring. So you got to take it relatively. They're not the butthole surfers. These guys are not expected to do stuff like this. Um, and, you know, this is his response to the media. So, again, playing into the unstated theme of what really is sort of a, an unstated concept album. Um, and, you know, I got to thank, you know, State of Love and Trust because prior to researching for this i never thought of bugs as being about surveillance devices that's one of the things that we've found with these lyric of the week segments is we we find ourselves rethinking about what we you know, some of these songs you don't, you don't think about lyrically really for 15 20 years sometimes and so and you really for are forced to dive back in and go oh shit i didn't Oh, maybe. And you start looking online and you see message board forums where people are kind of throwing out these theories and you go, holy shit, it could be one of those things. So yeah. I, I think it's cool that you kind of found that with this. I, I really love it. This one kind of even more so came to life uh, this particular round. How about uh, Satan's Bed? Satan's Bed I love. And this is one that, uh, that came to life more so this time around. It didn't leap out to me 30 years ago for whatever reason. But, um, you know, I, there was, a, I think, a bunch of a, a kerfluffle going on with the, uh, with the drums on this one. I'm sure you guys know the entire. We, well, know, we spoke to Jimmy Show, uh, Dave's drum tech, all about performing that track. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was a big, a lot of dramatics behind the scene on that one. Uh, it's a great song. And, uh, I mean, obviously better man comes up after that. You gotta love better man. Uh, it's, uh, it's a fantastic song, but also the history of it is just awesome. I mean, he, he wrote the song, better wrote the song when he was in high school, performed it with bad radio, which by the way, I mean, there's bad band names and then there's bad radio. I mean, that's just a really bad band name. It's not good. Um, <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, so it, 
you know, Brandon O'Brien was all for it and he was reluctant to go for it. And then it was, I think, eight weeks at number one. And it was always a good song to hear on the radio. Uh, I love, I love Better Man. I really do. Now, from there, we get to another, uh, I don't know. I mean, you don't have to call it an interlude. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost three minutes long. So it certainly qualifies as a song to me. Aida Avenida. I love it. I love it. There is a quality to the sonic stew here where it feels hypnotic. There is an actual genuine hypnotic thing. It's like he's like trying to be divisive, but at the same time, he can't stop uh, caring about how the sonics of the record because it's great. And it's one of the only like, two songs in the entire record that was that has um, writing credits from everybody. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, What's the other one? Uh, Pry uh, 2, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. So from there, last two tracks, but obviously very, very different. Immortality is the next one. I know this is a key track on the record, but I just don't connect with it that much. I never really did. I know this is key. Uh, and mm-hmm. it's, and I feel like, uh, it's like, uh, if the, if the song was a person, I would tell it, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. But I but I'm looking for a way in. You know? why, why doesn't it speak to you? Um it's not it's it's so it, all of the powerful components of the record. I don't see any of that in here. So uh what I mean by that is it doesn't rock super hard to me anyway. It doesn't it's not super weird. It's not, um, you know, it's kind of about Cobain's suicide, but also kind of not about it. And Eddie won't commit to one way or the other. And so in the end, I kind of don't even really care whether it is or isn't. And it just feels non-committal to me mm. in a way that it strikes me as uninteresting. Non-committal? Like it's, okay. Now, I will say, you said, you said yeah. it's not rocking, but neither is nothing, man. You love that song, so. Well, he did say there's a gentle... No beauty to that song, though. You know, yeah, I think that's the source of that song's power, right? Got it. Okay. Well, just to clarify, yeah, yeah. But like I said, it's I'm not fi- I'm not finding this the source of the song's power because obviously tons and tons of people like it, so I must be broken. <laughs> well, the people who are broken are the people whose uh, voices are sampled in the last track. Hey, Foxy Mop, handle Mama, it's me. That was a masterful segue. Yeah, Thank I was you. about to compliment you, Jason. On Thank that you very well. much. I'll, I'll be well yeah. showing myself out. <laughs> you have stolen the throne from me. <laughs> Any thoughts on that one? Uh, all, all kinds of thoughts on this one. So this is technically, I guess, kind of an instrumental, but it has the voices of patients of psychiatric, uh, of a, uh, I guess, Eddie insane Vedder, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Eddie Vedder had taped it, right? It was yeah, at an yeah. insane asylum, but he taped it a long time ago, right? And so these were well, it was airing on television, and he had taped yeah, it. he just taped when it he was seventeen. Yeah. He was it was he was seventeen, and uh, you know he explained it in, in two thousand, and he held on to it, and it became uh, th- this is just a, an incredible way to see the record out, and. You know, you would probably think, like, you know, to to not really get immortality and to be 
proselytizing about, hey, Foxy Mop, Vandal Mama, and to have a music podcast, your music podcast must be ridiculous. But I think that this tells a story that I'm just not picking up in immortality. This tells a clear story, or at least, um, so I think Eddie also wants some street cred. He's a wounded animal, but also just like Roger Waters with Dark Side of the Moon, He's not Sid Barrett. He'll mm. never be Sid Barrett. He'll never have the street cred of a real insane person. So instead, he's on the, he's outside the bubble looking in. And I think that's a little bit psychologically of what's going on here with Eddie. That's interesting. Hmm. Okay. Well, that was micro. Now let's do the macro. What is the legacy of this record to you? This is the difficult period through with almost like a rite of passage through which if they didn't graduate from this ceremony, they would not be where they, they would not be in existence as a band. They had to get through this point, their trial by fire uh, in order to make it as a band and not be, you know, maybe not blow your head off like Kurt Cobain, but not have any staying power. Like so many of the bands from that time that uh, it turned out were not relevant a and had no staying power because there was no fucking relationship these guys stuck through it they worked through all these very apparent on the surface difficulties and that's why there's a podcast called state of love and trust probably not or you guys would have a different podcast we talk about beers and scotches probably <laughs> wine um listen i i i i agree um if you had to give it a star rating what would you give it i would give it five stars out of five yeah okay despite despite tracks three and four not doing it for you not despite to me it, it's that thing of if you accept the band um mm -hmm. then you then you see the whole thing as a portrait mm -hmm. um and so I don't skip those songs, even though I don't connect with them, because it tells a very valuable part of the story of this record and of the time of the band. I like that take. I like it. It makes a lot of sense. We do a thing on this show, David, called um, Essential Track, and we do a segment called uh, Over Under, where we pick songs from each record um, for those three categories. I want you to give us your picks for most underrated song, overrated song, and the essential song from the record. You can start wherever you'd like. Uh, well, I, since I already more than a very obviously flipped this card already, Corduroy is the essential song from the record and from their career. I feel like if, if uh, somebody, if I was to give one per, give a person one song from this band to get them into it, it would always be Corduroy. Always. And... The most overrated song is Not For You, I think. Uh, to me, it's silly. And I think more than any other song, it, it, like it's, uh, it's Eddie with a little bit of egg on his face or what have you. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but again, it tells part of the story. And then most underrated is Last Exit. I, I could be wrong, but I don't hear a lot of talk about that. And it's, a it's such a thrilling opener and one of the best openers of any record ever. And it's a just a great song. Really, really great song. And it's, you know, Vetter didn't get his uh, his grubby mitts all over it. 
You let somebody else have a shot. I think it was, that was a Stone and Dave track, so you're right. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. David, uh, very grateful to have you on to, to talk Vitalogy with us. Very grateful that this happened. I like people who have a, a different macro and micro view of music than I do, but also have the same level of intense um, love for it because it, it challenges me to relook at something. You tell me that not for you doesn't work for you. I go, Hmm, what I, I like it, but, but maybe, maybe there's something there that I could kind of swing my head around to the dark side of the moon to, you know, your prayer Roger waters reference, um, find what, why you're not connecting to it. And maybe I can find another angle. I just think that's the best part of this show is when we kind of find new facets. Like the, the, the basically each guest is a prism for these songs, yeah. and you're giving but, me a, a new vantage point. Yeah, but don't don't let my thoughts on not for you and Tremor Christ affect your love for it. Show oh, me I won't. Out. I just it'll, yeah, it'll, it'll only out. enhance my love, David, because now Good. I have a new way of looking at it. That will be both challenging, but also I might be like, no, he's fucking wrong, and that's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I mean, as long as you have a strong opinion, I I could care less what that opinion is. Uh, that you're my brother, because there's a there's a passion for music, and we fucking love that on this show, right? Well, David Gebro from Discography, thank you for joining us, and we'll talk soon. It's been an honor and a privilege, guys. Thank you so much. Once again, big thank you uh, to David Gebro for coming on. Discography is the podcast. He goes in deep on uh, on literally discographies from bands and, and and talks to those artists about those discographies and the albums and the songs in fine detail. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of in awe of the stamina of that. First of all, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. A, you want to talk about commitment? You know, it's, it, that is a testament to commitment. So yeah. hats off. Uh, well, it is uh, the week of Thanksgiving here in America. The Canadian listeners are like, um, we already had that. I'm like, I get it. Okay, sorry. Here in America, it is Thanksgiving week. And uh, as we've done the past, I think, three years now, mm -hmm. uh, we we kind of give our thanks, what we are thankful for. So we do, I think, three things each um, yeah. or something like that. So, Paul, go ahead and give me your first uh, thing that you're thankful for this season, this year. Oh, I I am grateful and thankful for the resiliency of the fan base, but also the resiliency of this podcast. Um, you know, we started this as a kind of, I don't, it wasn't a, a silly or flippant endeavor by any stretch of the imagination, but I, I think it began as something that was very much a passion project. And I don't think we had any idea how many people would listen or would care to listen. Um, and uh, the, the the fact that you know through through what has been a, a very big change in my life as as I moved away from from LA and, and you know uprooted my family with me, and uh, for us to for the most part like barely skip a beat, you know what I mean? I yeah. think uh, it's and you know again you talk about commitment. I'm grateful that that this has been a, a steadying presence. Uh, not just in my life, but hopefully in, in the lives of, uh, of our listeners. I know that, uh, you know, Jason, you, you do a, a tremendous job making sure that, that these, these things drop on Tuesday. And, uh, believe me, for those of you listening there, <laughs> there have been many a show that did not conclude until, until the, uh, the wee hours on our side and, uh, for, for Jason to, to stay up and, and put this out, I think is, uh, you know, 
that, 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 that speaks volumes to, to his commitment and, and to, to what I think, uh, we believe this, this show should represent in us and, and, in uh, in the grand space of things. So yeah, definitely grateful that this continues to persist and I'm grateful for, uh, what it has has meant as a pillar of stability for for me, and uh, like I said, for for those of you listening, hopefully, it has offered something of that measure to you as well. And that's your first one. Mm. <laughs> How do we go from there? Well, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, they, they they can be long hours sometimes. Um, there was one um, one uh, episode that was both a lot of work and also very little work at the same time. And that is my first thank you. And my first, uh, or I guess thing that I'm grateful for the first thing that I'm grateful for, uh, was our first live podcast from, from Austin. Um, that was a lot of pre-production, a lot of thinking, a lot of phone calls, a lot of emails, a lot of, um, making banners on staples.com, a lot of, uh, Amazon shopping at the last minute for certain audio needs, <laughs> uh, you know, asking friends to sleep on their, um, their, their couch in their office <laughs> who happen yeah. to live in Austin. Yeah. So shout out to, uh, Wilson. Thank you, buddy. And Bailey, his wife, of course. Um, how about meeting the wishlist foundation people in real life? That was awesome. And, and having them let us crash their party, uh, was so much fun meeting fans at that event who maybe didn't know us and we're like, Oh, that was pretty cool. And like coming up to me and, and step afterwards and just talk and shop. Um, you know, we, we got two really good shows. Obviously night two was, was really incredible. Um, but those two Austin shows gave us great fodder, um, for that show, both, yeah. um, as a reaction to night one. And then as a precursor to night two, we were sandwiched, we we were the meat of an Austin sandwich and it was delectable as all the meat in Austin really is. Honestly. Um, I think I'm still having the meat sweats all these months later from all the barbecue that Wilson took me to, but yeah. So anyways, um, being able to do a live show, uh, on the road like that was incredible. And listen, we're still talking to the wishlist folks, you know, there's going to be a tour next year in 2024, and uh, I don't know exactly what's going to happen or how we'll be involved, but I think there'll be something. So yeah. keep your eyes peeled. I, I love the fact that the first live show happened without me. <laughs> I don't like that at all, but it I, no, just happened it's, to be I, I just, I think it's a, like a fun, uh, you know, it, it's it's a fun wrinkle to to the. I wish the, we had thought of it before the, the show. forum shows the year before, but we didn't. Yeah, it. right. We we, uh, we we just didn't put it together. But <laughs> I, I'll tell you, I mean, I, you know, I'm very grateful to to Stip for for stepping in as admirably as he did. And uh, I joked, you know, about uh, uh, petitions uh, to to have me replaced after listening to to Stip you know, from 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 our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Which, uh, but the reality is that he, he he was fantastic, and it's always a pleasure to have Stip on. And and every time we do, I, I feel like I, uh, I I deepen the depths of my my knowledge of the band. So go buy his books. Cool. I am no guide. Absolutely. And then Brandon Rector, pre-orders mm-hmm. now. Anyways, keep going. Number two for you. Uh, number two for me. Um, I, you know, I, I think I look back, and uh, what stands out the most to me about this year is just the sheer number of people we had the pleasure of talking to. That's my number two. So just you go, and then I'll just pay you back. Well, I mean, what you know, I mean, Brett Lyson stands out. I mean, uh, I mean, did we t- we, we talked to Brad Clausen really? That early was in twenty one, twenty two. Oh, okay, that was so last year. End. Okay, okay, okay. 
uh, we talked to um, Nicole before I left LA, right? Nicole Alvarez. Yep. Uh, I know we talked to Lance Mercer. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely had the pleasure of chatting with Dave Abraziz, Jimmy Schof. Uh, we, we've had some some tremendous guests on in the Pearl Jam community as well. And uh, I mean, the, the whole thing has just been a wonderful experience to to just talk perspective and and, and life and the way that the music continues to influence and impact us and just the, the greater sphere of influence that, that is Pearl Jam sound and, 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 and the soundscape that they have created when you start factoring in other bands from that era as well. So that I think has been something that I was grateful for last year and the year before. Um, and I'm continuing to be grateful for, because I feel like we are, um, we're, 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 the list of folks to talk to just keeps growing. And I think that's, that's magical. Really. I, um, I, I put it out there on social media. Who do you want us to talk to? And there was a number of responses, a, a yeah. huge response. Some of those people we we've already earmarked. We've already been reaching out and, and banging on doors. Um, some of the obvious ones, Brendan O'Brien, you know, that, those kind of people. Um, and trust me guys, we are working on that. We are working on, and some people have already been lined up that you don't know about that's coming, yeah. but there are some people who we're going to have to keep on trying on. Um, so hopefully 2024, it has more of those, but to your point, Paul, yet yeah, we've been building um, the roster of guests and this year has been fantastic. Uh, yeah. You've mentioned some of them. I'm going to add Josh Evans to that. I'm going to add uh, Ryan Williams who mixed uh, or helped mixed yield to that. Kevin Martin. Kevin God, Martin. I love chatting with him. How'd you miss that, that one? That was outstanding. I uh, didn't Rob, miss it. I was, I was waiting for it. <laughs> okay. Uh, Rob Bleedstein from Pearl Jam Radio. Jeremy Toback from Brad. Um, you mentioned Dave and Jimmy Schof. Um, I mean, Jesus, it, it, that's that's a pretty big pretty big list of, of guests there. And it just, you get these incredible stories. You get incredible insight. And I, I couldn't be more stoked to have truly made friends with some of these people. Um, I, I literally sent a message to Jimmy the other day just about, How's he doing out there in North Carolina? He's like, oh, my, my parents are doing great and the beach is great. I'm like, yeah. what are you drinking these days, Jimmy? Oh, I'm, I'm on the Svetka right now. I'm like, oh, you're drinking Svetka? Okay. Like, just like, I don't know what it is about us, Paul, but we've we've managed to, we coax them on the show. We have these great chats and then everybody benefits because everybody gets to hear these incredible stories yeah. um, and maybe some answers to questions that they haven't heard before. And some of these people have done a ton of interviews. So they kind of get that is really, really cool too. So I'm just, and that's, that, that's part of the challenge, right? Yeah. Cause it, 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 we're trying to create these questions. <laughs> it's like, well, what, what do we ask? that hasn't been asked a hundred thousand times before. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's uh, and I think, but it's a challenge that, that I think we enjoy. Very much so. Very much so. And, and I will enjoy, um, trying to do that more next year, but I'm grateful for it. So, uh, all right. Third and final, uh, grateful thing. <laughs> oh boy. Um, this one I think is, is pretty easy for me. Um, it's hard for me to not be grateful to our listeners. Um, you know, I asked Jason periodically, uh, talk, talk to me about the, the numbers, you know, and, and I don't mean like how many downloads necessarily, but just like, where are people listening to us? Like what's going on? You know what I mean? Like, what are they interested in? What episodes resonate with folks? And yeah, we got a lot of, of listeners in, in the U S but there are people that want to partake in this conversation from Australia, from the UK, from Canada, Germany, Ireland, Brazil, the Netherlands, India, Sweden. That's just the top 10, right? 
I mean, these are all listeners. We from have countries. two downloads in Uganda. I love it. I'll so, take it. You know what I'm saying? Look at that. <laughs> balloons going up with that. So <clears throat> I guess that's my way of saying that, uh, you know, this is not a global platform for, for you and for me. It's a global platform for everybody to participate in community and discussion. And I love seeing the um, just vast opportunity that's out there to keep this conversation going and, and how, how, you know, the possibility that it extends so far beyond us that it just kind of takes on a life of its own. excites me as well. So very, very grateful to, to our listeners, to everyone who has listened this year to, and everyone who has liked, uh, especially everyone who has fed that algorithm by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. (laughs) And, uh, obviously a, a very special thank you to, to all of our patrons. Um, means a lot you know we joke about you guys keeping the lights on but look i mean there there are certain fees associated with with the show but more than anything else it helps us grow the show and when we grow the show we're able to invite folks on to this episode or to the show pardon me for an episode and uh, it just lends a little bit of credibility to the whole operation which makes it a little easier to bring folks on which means you guys get a chance to hear from these wonderful people so it's really you guys helping uh, churn the wheel really is what it comes down to. So very, very grateful for all of it. I'm with you. That was my third, my third, um, uh, uh, item here is you guys. Um, the tent keeps getting bigger more and more and more listeners means more and more people. We can call friends, more people who, who find new ways to love the band and the side projects and all the peripheral stuff. And by association types of music, you know, um, you know, we're, we're honored to, um, to help y'all love all this music from a new perspective. Like we were talking about with David, just finding that, that new facet, that new prism. Um, and we are humbled that you guys keep wanting more, that you keep telling your friends and family that you feed that algorithm. Yeah. That you say hi, when you see us in real life, I, I remember, um, a gal in easy street records when I was in Seattle in April, like out of the blue, like what I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not anybody, but like, there's just a tent now and we get to be friends with each other and talk about yeah. this band in real life and all the comments and emails and, and DMS. And, and sometimes the, the, these comments in, in private messages come out of nowhere to the most, to the things that I would never think anybody would respond to every day. We put in our Instagram and Facebook stories. Um, and on this day sound clip, it's yeah. a clip from a song from a concert that happened that day sometime in history. And I'll get, I'll, I'll open it up and I'll look and there'll be like a, a heart and then like a, a story about that day. And it's like, you know, Worcester 2013 right. for somebody. And then the other person, it's like 96 Hamburg. Another person, it's Adelaide, you know, 03, mm-hmm. I, whatever the hell it is. Everyone's got a story. And then the fact that we happen to post that particular show that day and it's that song. Oh, I have a story about that. That's incredible. And I wish we had people doing that every single time because that would mean that all the stories are coming to the fore. That's yeah. what I want. I want all the stories coming to the fore. And speaking um, of stories, uh, I got to be honest with you. Uh, one exciting development for me in 2024, now that life is is finally starting to settle in a little bit for me, um, I, we, we, we had a, a listener who said, are we ever going to hear from Paul? <laughs> are we ever oh, going to hear on, from on, Paul? On Discord and online? On Discord. General? And uh, yes, you in 2024, Paul was coming to Discord. <laughs> oh my God. 
Oh, everybody who's in our Discord, and you guys know who you are. Finally, Paul yeah. has come back to Discord. <laughs> if I can quote The Rock. Oh my God. What guys' developments? Christmas come early. Can you imagine? Actually, it's coming late, but the announcement is coming early. Well, how about that? We just we bury the lead after 100 and 105 minutes, wherever it was. Um, well, there it is, guys. Uh, we just said thank you, but I'll say thank you again. Um, we're going to be back here next week with another one. We've got uh, a few more to go before the end of the year. We're going to take uh, two or three weeks off around the holidays to kind of catch our bearings, catch our breath. Um, we've got li- we got interviews lined up. Um, not, not every episode for the rest of the year, but we got interviews lined up and, uh, there's some good ones. And if there happens to be a new single that drops, we may have somebody lined up to talk about that. If there is a tour or an album announced at some point, we got, we got, we got things to talk about there too. And, um, I'm very excited for these last few episodes of 2023. Paul, any, any final words before we, uh, dip our toes into some solstice? Just keep feeding that algorithm. And uh, thank you to our patrons once again. Oh, by the way, patrons, you guys are going to be voting on the 2024 podcast T-shirt very, very soon. The final designs are coming in. Oh, baby. I'm excited. I'm I'm very very excited. excited. (laughs) The the proofs are perfect. I'm very, very stoked about these. All right, guys. Well, thank you very much. Happy Thanksgiving to any of you out there who are celebrating here in the good old U.S. of A. And... uh, We'll see you next week. Until we do, you've been listening to State of Love and Trust. Peace.